Imagine it's the first century AD. You're in Capernaum, on the shore of Lake Galilee. It's late, well into the night, and the streets are quiet. You've been following a local rabbi for a few months, listening to his words, helping him baptize new followers in the river, gawking as he touches and heals notorious criminals and the incurably ill. You've encountered your fair share of rabbis in your time. You're an Israelite, after all. But this one is different. There is something powerful and real in his teaching, something strong yet tender in his demeanor. And you're not the only one who has noticed. His following is growing by the day, incensing the religious establishment. And the professional preachers and practitioners of faith claim your rabbi is a heretic, insane, even demon-possessed. So needless to say, you were shocked when one of them asked to meet your rabbi in person. Granted, he insisted the meeting take place under cover of darkness, but he was certainly curious, intensely so. Now here you are, sitting with one of the Pharisees' acolytes, keeping watch to make sure your two masters are not disturbed as they debate by the lakeshore. At first, you try to make conversation with the acolyte, but he ignores you, showing obvious disdain. You decide you aren't so fond of him either. So the two of you sit in silence, picking up occasional phrases from the learned men's debate, looking for the kingdom of God, and not to condemn the world but to save it, and the life eternal. But you can't distinguish the voices or tell who is speaking. Eventually, things go quiet. You're nervous. Has the Pharisee silenced your rabbi with threats or unanswerable questions? Suddenly, your rabbi comes up behind you. Let's go, he says, and begins to walk back toward the town. You're dumbfounded. The conversation is over so soon? A few paces on, your rabbi stops and turns back looking past you. You turn around too. The bright moonlight shows a man in long robes standing on the seashore, the waves lapping at his sandaled feet, arms raised in prayer, a smile spread across his face, and tears flowing down his cheeks. Welcome to These Days, The Resilient Way of Jesus. That's a podcast. That is this podcast. And this is Ben and Dwayne. Hello. And we're here to bring you episode uh, 14? Episode uh, 14. 14, yeah. Episode- you, know, you know what I really like about that uh, 
bumper music we got, Ben? What? I was thinking about this just the other day. It is so uplifting. By the time we get to the welcome and the hello, uh, I'm on top of the world. Yeah, doesn't it? Do you just feel like you're on the plains of Pelennor? Yes. Uh, fighting the hordes of Mordor. Or up and, at the top by the white tree, you yeah, know? There, I mean, there you go. Yeah, I surveying mean, the battlefield. Well, we are sort of on the side of a mountain at the public para, para, paradise public house. The paradise public house. Yeah, yeah. What was the other place you called it? The oasis of pleasant surprise. The oasis of pleasant surprises. <laughs> cool. And, and we're up on the wings of this mountain right here, you know, soaring over the landscape, bringing joy and hope to people as much as we can. That's great. That's yeah. great, Dad. In yeah. fact, that's a great segue into what this season is about: hope, the theology of hope. Hope, real time, down to earth. How do we have hope in the resilient way of Jesus? This seems pretty timely because we we kind of like what should season two? This is way back when we started season two. We're thinking what should season two be about? We realize that there's sort of a crisis of hope right now. Everyone's kind of looking around, and every day it seems like there's some news that comes out that threatens to steal our hope. So, what, do we have any sort of resilient hope in these days? And that's what we're exploring this season. So today we're going to talk specifically about. Uh, a specific kind of hope. So maybe you want to lead us into the cold open and the big idea. Uh, yes, I would. Uh, that uh, cold open was actually a uh, New Testament one this time. It was about the uh, trip at night, in the dark of night, uh, because if his uh, friends among the Pharisees had heard that Nicodemus wanted to talk to Jesus, he would be in a world of hurt. Now, later on, he went public with it, and uh, everybody knew, especially toward the end after Jesus' death on the cross. But uh, that's uh, Nicodemus was the uh, Pharisee in that that Jesus uh, talked to, and uh, you know, graphically portrayed what it must have been like for uh, one of his disciples to kind of follow along uh, in as much of a bodyguard way as they had in those days. Uh, but obviously that night uh, changed Nicodemus's life and, and in a powerful, powerful way. And all you need to do to kind of sort that out and to sort of re-envision that story is um, read John chapter 3. And there's a new show out, apparently, that oh, yeah, on yeah, the computer yeah, yeah, yeah. that we'll talk about later that also has an episode. But read, read John 3 first. Yeah, okay? read John 3 yeah, first. Yeah. In fact, we talked about how can we sneak that into the cold open yeah. so people know where to look it up. We could just have Jesus turn to his disciple and say, John, write this down in chapter 3 of your <laughs> book. <laughs> but yeah. we decided to let you kind of figure that out for yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be good. But that's where the story comes from. Yes, that's right. And... And the thing is about Nicodemus, and there are other people in the New Testament uh, like this, but he was one of the people you wouldn't expect. You'd expect him to go along with the crowd of the Pharisees, but he was one of the people who unexpectedly was looking for the Messiah seriously. He was expecting and waiting for the kingdom of God, and Jesus was preaching that he, uh, his arrival on earth meant that the kingdom of God had come near. So uh, that was the first coming of Jesus. And... Uh, Nicodemus apparently had enough reason and enough imagination and enough openness of heart to consider things because he really did become a follower of Jesus. And so today we're going to talk about the blessed hope. It's what Paul calls the blessed hope. And uh, we're going to talk about the second coming or the return of Jesus. Uh, I just want to let you know that right away in case he comes back before this podcast is over. So yeah. you might want to know. But you know, how would it get yeah. out if they if uh, well, it came back before we... The, Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, Maybe before they finish listening to it. Yes. Yeah, there yes. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You better get this done tonight. Okay, then. yeah, anyway, I'm going to work but, on it. Yeah, you know, it, uh, so what we're trying to do, though, is we're trying to focus on this in a true and down-to-earth way. We're not uh, going to give our opinions about, you know... Uh, when it is, although we'll, we'll talk about our opinions of people who do uh, try to pick up when it is, um, but we're not going to, you know, give all the details, uh, and I'll explain why a little later. But we want to get to why does it matter now? So let's start with uh, Titus, chapter two, verses one to eleven, and. Uh, this is where Paul talks about the blessed hope. He's talking to his protege, Titus, uh, who is doing ministry uh, out in another church, one of the missionary churches that uh, Paul started. And uh, here's what he says, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to, for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live uh, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That does not sound like something that you would put on, uh, say, a popular celebrity site in these days. <laughs> uh, but what would compel a person to want to live that way? Well, verse 13, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us uh, from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people uh, for his own possession who are zealous for good works, who make a difference in the world, in other words. In other words, the point is the blessed hope is meant to rev us up to exactly that, to hope. Uh, and the reason I'm making such a big deal out of that is I actually prefer blessed hope to, uh, first of all, uh, because it's biblical uh, in terms of Jesus' uh, return, because when you say the return of Christ or the second coming, and I know what people mean by that. I mean, our language doesn't really fit because Jesus, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, says, look, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. I'll never leave you for, or forsake you. I strongly believe in that. And, uh, you know, whenever the end of the age is, is Jesus is gonna, says he's going to be here until that time. Uh, in fact, uh, the early church fathers, I mean, imagine being one of the early church fathers. This isn't a cold open, but you can imagine anyway. Uh, but imagine being one of the early church fathers trying to figure this out, okay? Because they thought Jesus was coming back like the next day after he said he was uh, uh, leaving. Uh, and then the, he didn't come back for a while, and they're trying to sort this out, and they're still putting their hope in it. They're still gaining hope and knowing they weren't disbelieving that he wouldn't come back. Uh, they were just saying, they, th they got their time mixed up, and they just wondered, well, okay, he said that he did, we couldn't know the time. He said that he didn't know the time. Uh, but there's this early church father uh, who lived uh, 155 AD into the 200s, about 240. His name was Tertullian, and he was reading in 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, 3-6. to And um, what's interesting about that is he already saw it as Scripture, Ben. You know, they hadn't had all the councils and all that kind of stuff, so... If certain writers try to tell you, not to, not to name names, but their initials are Dan Brown and Daniel Silva, but um, try to tell you that the church made all this up, they were believing this almost right up back to the time. And that's another podcast to explain. But here's what Tertullian said about the Roman Empire, because in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 6, it talks about this one who stands in the way of the final judgment, okay? The final coming, the final dreadful end, or when, when at least it's dreadful for people that don't know Jesus or for a society that, uh, the world that's gone uh, uh, mad with, uh, you know, rejecting God, that sort of thing. There, that's pretty clear. It's a pretty graphic um, piece of uh, t 
text from Paul about the results of powerful, strong evil, when, but just before Jesus comes back. But here, here's what Tertullian said. There is also another even greater obligation for us to pray for the emperors. He's talking about Roman emperors. Yes, even the continuance of the empire in general and for the Roman interests, we realize that the tremendous force which is hanging over the world, the one that's going to come and put an end to all this, and the very end of the world with its threats and dreadful afflictions is arrested for a time by the continued existence of the Roman Empire. So they, they saw, they saw um, Dertullian at least saw the Roman Empire as this quote-unquote man of lawlessness who's, you know, there, there's a hand that's holding back the judgment of God for a time. So as long as that, that one exists and the time for that person is to be here, uh, they actually saw it as the whole empire. So he says this, This event we have no desire to experience in praying that it may be deferred, we favor the continuance of the Roman Empire. So, <laughs> so you know, old even uh, back in the day, they were trying to sort out the time to some degree, not to the extent and the kind of the craziness we go to, but that's kind of how it was working, even at that time. Yeah, and so, you know, this, when we look at passages like that, and the, this passage in Titus about the blessed hope, it sort of puts us in the story. Because sometimes when we think about following Jesus, we think about following uh, the words or even the um, the practices, lifestyle, or even uh, putting our faith in the actions of Je that Jesus did, past tense, that things that happened in the past, which is important for us to look at, take note of, listen to. But when we think about this blessed hope or these passages like in 2 Thessalonians talking about Christ's appearing, then we kind of get put in the middle of the story because we realize that's yet to come. Something has been begun by Christ's words and actions and life uh, on our behalf, and uh, and that, that thing is set in motion, but it, it is yet to be fulfilled. There's still another sort of phase to the story, so we live in that in-between time. So it kind of puts us in this place where, um, you know, sometimes when we, uh, when we look back at the teachings of Jesus, we can have a great amount of hope by what he says, by the way he lived, by what he did for us on the cross. We're going to look at that next week. But uh, we can also, as we put ourselves in the middle of the story and realize that he is going to appear, that we do have a blessed hope that we look forward to, it actually it sort of amplifies our sense of hope even more because if we're in the story of Jesus, then we can be certain that he's coming back because he said so. He said that he will mm, yeah. uh, he will appear that we won't he will not leave us as orphans. We'll look at that in a second. And the first thing we should say is that uh, we've sort of already alluded to this, but the timing or the details or the when or the date and hour <laughs> is not the point of these texts that we're going to look at. Uh, in fact, Jesus himself says in Acts chapter one, starting in verse six, uh, they gathered around the Lord. That would be their uh, the disciples, and they said, Lord. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this it? Is this the time? Is this when it's going to happen? Your kingdom set up in fullness and in power? And then Jesus says to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he's saying you don't get to know the times <laughs> or the dates. So as soon as we start picking apart these uh, very uh, cryptic, poetic scriptures to try to predict the when and the how and exactly how it's going to be, we have to tread with extreme caution at that point because the Bible 
speak, we ought to speak plainly where the Bible speaks plainly, uh, but we ought to also speak with, uh, with great humility where the Bible is uh, less clear. And so if we start picking apart these things, we actually get more excited about the events and the happenings and the, the current culture that we're in or whatever, the climate, than we do about the return of Christ. And I, I had this, uh, this professor in eschatology class Mm, ooh, that's another word for our dictionary. Eschatology, yeah. the study of last things. Very good, very good. Yes. yes. Uh, he, he said that if, <laughs> if you are learning about being... I think he was talking in the context, talk, context of preachers and saying, uh, when a preacher preaches on these topics, um, if they... If they scare you by talking about it, if, they, if, if the primary thing you come away with is fear, then they probably have missed the point. Because these texts, in, in his reading of them, were all intended to make us long for the appearing of Jesus. And if we come away from these texts longing for the return, the appearing of Jesus, that blessed hope, then I think we have engaged them the way they're meant to be engaged with. Because uh, we can be certain that he is coming back and will set things right. So, so yeah, the dates and times are not uh, what we're really talking about in this. And Jesus podcast. even said he didn't know the time, right? I mean, yeah. Said, but the Father, not the Son, but the but Father. But Harold Camping knew, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> I'm going to tell you about the guy who who gave a prediction here. And and, and the thing is, uh, that's what you can tell. I mean, that you can you can uh, say if someone tells you they know the date, uh, you can say. Who do you think you are, Jesus? So, uh, well, even, but even Jesus God. didn't. Know. Yeah, Jesus. Well, he does now. But, um, <laughs> but uh, so there's this guy uh, from California that had this radio or family radio thing. He was on the radio apparently. Made this big prediction. He had a lot of followers. And back in May 21, 21st, 2011, um, he predicted that Jesus was coming back. And what was interesting is, is I was on my second trip, but my first like full blown trip. Uh, to Israel at the time. And what I mean by that is that was my first trip with the group that we go with now. We don't go with a company or anything. We have a group of pastors and specifically uh, myself and another person who are uh, doing tours over there and we go to places that most of them don't go and all that, but this isn't a commercial. So so you can sign up for that. At, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, VR5. So, but, uh, <laughs> but we were in Israel on May 21st, 2011, and we were driving into Nazareth, you know, the, the place of uh, oh, the Mary irony, Joseph. Man. Oh, man. And there was this giant billboard at the beginning of the opening as we turned into the off this highway into Nazareth that said, Jesus is coming back May 21st. And I, I don't know if there's something on there about today, but that was the day. And it was written in Arabic because uh, Nazareth is an Arab town now uh, in Israel proper, but it's still an Arab, Arabic uh, Palestinian town mostly. And uh, so... Uh, but it's it said either you know turn to Jesus or you're going to burn today. And those are the words it used. So all these people are looking. Sorry, at this. I should I yeah. shouldn't I shouldn't laugh at that because that's just, that's some serious theology we well, need to talk about. But I can't believe that's what it said. It did. I would notice people on the sidewalk looking at us because we they could tell we were North Americans, man, and so. I'm just sunk, sinking down on my seat, and then we get to where we're going. We were going to the uh, uh, Nazareth Bible Society that is uh, overseen by uh, Dina Cadenocho and her husband uh, teaches at the uh, Bible College there in Nazareth, Nazareth Evangelical College, and he, his name is Dr. Johanna Cadenocho. So 
Johanna gets up and starts talking with us, and he says, you know what day today is? And we're all going, oh, yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. And he goes, I am so sorry to tell you that that is what Americans, uh, I mean, what uh, what people here think you Americans, and you, there were Canadians there, you Canadians, that they think that this is what you all believe. So we all sunk down in our chairs again. And so all I'm saying is if somebody says that to you, uh, you can be pretty sure that it's not legit. And it's also just not the point of those texts. No, that's uh, a good point. Good yeah, point. it's not the point of those texts. And I, one thing I love is that it seems as if every generation of Jesus followers has believed that their generation was the last one. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually think that's a good thing, because Jesus gave us these texts to say, you don't know when, right? And to say, yeah. we all want to be prepared, and not just prepared, we want to along and pray for, Paul tells us to pray for the return of Jesus. Yeah, right? there's good evidence that the first generation thought they were the last one. Yeah, and so there is there is something in which to live as a faithful follower of Jesus in the resilient way of Jesus in these days, uh, we need to anticipate the, the blessed hope, the appearing of Jesus, and pray that he would come and establish his rule and reign. Um, but uh, the, the, these, these uh, texts are actually meant to give us this expectation and anticipation that gives meaning to our life today and tomorrow and forever, because we're in the presence of God uh, now, and we will be more fully uh, even in the future. So uh, some of these texts uh, are actually a little more... Um, a little easier to get that sense, that sense of longing or that sense of hope uh, from. And one of them that we've actually quoted, I think, twice already in the podcast. Uh, yes. At yeah. least. <laughs> not, the, not in its entirety, however. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a good, now you're putting it all together. It's man. a good one to come yeah. back. Yeah, we're putting it all together. Uh, John 14, verses 1 through 10. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. So it just gives us this hope saying, it's okay, it's okay, I'm preparing a place for you, I will come take you with me to be with me where I am. And then verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? Mm-hmm. And Jesus said famously, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So he's saying, yeah, you know where I'm going if you look at me, because I am the kingdom among us. I am God among us. I'm the presence here and now. I'm Emmanuel, God with us. So if if you look to me, you begin to see uh, not only what is, but what will be at the appearing of Jesus. And then uh, verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. So this union with God that we seek, that we long for, where we we look eagerly forward to the day of the blessed hope when we will be in the presence of God and we will be fully restored and God's rule and reign will be here in fullness and in power. Uh, that day we look forward to is actually already here in Jesus. 
So as we look to him, we begin to have this future hope that actually then also becomes present hope because the presence of God we long for in, in eternity is actually already with us in Jesus. Yeah, that already is really important. Uh, and not to forget, that's a good point. Uh, and the reason for that is because I believe, <clears throat> and this is like uh, uh, crazy talk out uh, in the world today, I'm sure. Uh, but even someone, uh, you know, if you happen to be listening to this podcast and you're agnostic, you're atheist, or, you know, you, you have some of those identities that you would call yourself. Um, I believe that there's innate in every single one of us this longing for what does the future hold? Like, what is up ahead for me? Uh, and what is up ahead for the world? And that's something that was, we believe, in scripture, it's in Scripture that God placed that in us to long to know that. However, just like all of our longings that are in the image of God that God's put in us, all of our desires and wishes and hopes and dreams and all of that stuff, uh, we have to use it and we have to be careful in, in terms of biblical way. And this is where it swings back to Christians. Um, that longing is good. We should long for that day. We should long to know uh, more about that day. But it also should give us encouragement to focus our hope on the right things uh, in those realities. And uh, for example, here, here's some, some things that we have to be aware of. All of the religious people, the people that really knew their Bibles and really knew all the stuff, they got Jesus, the first, the first, Jesus first coming wrong. Uh, they got it goofed up. Now, some in the religious class didn't. People like Nicodemus, whom we just heard about. Uh, people like Joseph of Arimathea, who took Jesus' body off the cross and buried it, even though he was a part of that council. He was a senior member of the council, it, it says in Mark. Uh, and he did it anyway, even though he was putting his reputation and his, his uh, livelihood and everything else at serious risk. There's another guy named Simeon, who's a, like this prophet who was hanging around the temple. He was like 80 years old or something like that. When Jesus, uh, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to be dedicated as an infant uh, at the temple, Simeon walks up and somehow prophetically knows that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says, okay, God, now I can die because I've seen the one I've been waiting for. And he, he, he had to be somebody high up in the religious class or they wouldn't let him hang around the temple like that. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the other sense to think is we're not, we're not saying that we should take any of our anticipation or excitement out of this or, or expectation out of this. I mean, that's what actually moves us toward hoping more. One of my, uh, you've heard me talk about him before, my uh, favorite mentors, he's 97, I think now, uh, Dr. James Houston, Jim Houston. Um, he said in class several times when I had him in class, he says, you know, I'm tired of hearing preachers and Christians say, hey, I don't want to be uh, so heavenly minded that I'm no earthly good. Because he said, that's deceptive. Because the trouble is, is most of our minds, uh, the trouble with most of our minds is that we're not heavenly minded enough. So that's, there's a balance in there. And that's the balance of it. Not to, to uh, take away anything from our expectation. Actually, it, it should grow in the hope, but use that as the fuel for the hope. And uh, Paul and Jesus in the New Testament uh, has this sense of eminency uh, that is pending. Uh, and that the, the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus comes back, as he promised, in, uh, like Ben just read in uh, John 14, uh, is a means of incredible hope. Uh, and the eminency means, I think, 
that you can interpret a lot of scripture. It's just not clear in terms of the eschatological scripture. How, how's that one? That's good. Eschatological. Yeah. That'll be a subheading under eschatology. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Boy, we better get our act together here. If we keep talking about this dictionary. But anyway, um, it, it, the eminency in the New Testament is the thing. In other words, he could come any time. He could come any moment. Uh, and um, that's the reason why there are certain, for example, I mean, I have my own view of how the end times are going to go. But there's a lot of people who have various differing views that are just as biblical as mine. But we all believe that it could be any moment because that's what the scripture teaches. And and that comes and when we're while we're still talking about time, you know, the fact is that it hasn't happened yet for a very good reason. And the fact that it hasn't cha- happened yet doesn't change any of the expectation or any of the anticipation or any of the hope. Peter tried to get at this in his last letter, not too long before he died, most likely. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 10 are those famous verses about God's sense of timing. Listen to this. Verse 8, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. In other words, he doesn't, have to, he doesn't get flipped out like we do about time. The Lord is not slow to keep his promise, keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So he wants us to come to repentance. That's why he's waiting. But that last line, the day of the Lord, I put that in there, that he comes like a thief. That has freaked us a lot out, uh, freaked a lot of people. I, I remember when we were kids, like when I was just. I was in high school, and then I started leading kids as a youth uh, director. Uh, it was in the 70s, and the this book called The Late Great Planet Earth by a guy named Hal Lindsey came out. And it didn't just top the Christian charts, man. It caught, topped New York Times secular charts. It topped everything. Because he was you know, detailing out what his uh, end times eschatology looked like and all with every little detail. And then he made a prediction that really kind of made it go wonky. He predicted that in 1988, Jesus was coming back. And we kind of know how that worked out, at least I hope, you know. But, but he launched a cottage industry on this. And one of the things that happened in those days, and I still have strong memories of this because the, the 70s were just full of this, particularly the late 70s, because part, in part because of that book. But they had these scary, badly acted movies uh, that well-meaning people showed us or showed yeah. kids <laughs> that scared the fooey out of us. There were three of them, I think, and they were called The Thief in the Night. And it's about all these people got left behind. It didn't show anybody flying up to the sky or anything, but it, 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 they'd been left behind. And it was like, man, and then, you know, I saw one guy, this guy was really shameless. He got up afterwards and said, do you want to be one of those people? And, you know, it's like, wow, that was heavy, heavy stuff. And I, I, I don't mean to make fun of anybody or anything. I'm just saying that's really not what uh, Jesus intended for us to be focusing on in terms of the blessed hope. It's blessed. It's hopeful. It's not, it's not a scary mess. And that word, that word, bless. Isn't that makarios? Isn't that the yes. word blessed in yep. Greek? Uh, oh, good job. My, thanks. My very limited Greek. Uh, that word makarios means, I mean, at its most simple, basic form, it means happy. It means like this yeah. joyful, happy hope. There's so yeah. the the blessed hope. If it's really going to be blessed, uh, you know, there is a sense of of danger of uh, the, the rest of that. 
that Peter passage says, uh, what sort of lives then ought you to live if everything's going to be destroyed in this way? So there is a sense of like, we better make sure that we are living, like Jesus said, as the wise servant, not as the lazy servant. But also, there's a blessedness to it. There's a looking forward. There's a hope. There's an eagerness for Jesus to come back. And, uh, you know, this is actually this is a super big rabbit trail, but I just got to say this. You brought up Simeon, Dad. Yeah. Uh, Simeon, the prophet who just lived at the temple and, made, uh, and, and uh, was sort of like the uh, prophetic old man in the corner. Yeah. Uh, just to let our listeners in on a little inside joke, I love to give um, suggestions for your retirement. <laughs> what? Like uh, I wondered why you were smiling like, over there. Like like uh, like uh, how I really think that in your retirement you need to put on a priest cassock and solve crimes like Father Brown. Or <laughs> oh. or another option could be Simeon. To look into it, Dad. Think about it. <laughs> you could be the crazy prophet guy. It'd be awesome. <laughs> Come over here. I got a prophecy for you. <laughs> anyway, super big rabbit trail. The point of the blessed hope. Look at the bunnies. <laughs> no, that's probably more what I would say. Probably. Look at the bunnies. <laughs> so the point of the blessed hope is uh, basically that Jesus is coming back and things will be made right. And as we look deeper into that, we can have a great sense of hope. There's a Princeton New Testament prophet, prof. Esser, professor, uh, hmm. named Beverly uh, Gavant, Gaventa, Gaventa, something like that. Don't know yeah. how to pronounce his name. Uh, and uh, her. her, sorry, her name. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the uh, she says she says this about that Second Thessalonians passage that we already have uh, referenced. Um, it says texts that such as Second Thessalonians two one through twelve. However, they may make a squirm call us away from white bread Christianity. I like that. Yeah. Uh, in which neither God nor the gospel has much depth or substance to a recognition of the presence of evil in the world. They do not answer our questions about why evil exists, and they do not offer a talisman that protects us from its power and its consequence. Nevertheless, they promise that the day will come when evil will be conquered. By the mere breath of the Lord Jesus. And so as we look at that, we can see what's really going on right now, see it for what it really is, see the effects of evil, but also see that this is all going somewhere towards restoration uh, through Jesus and the work he began on the cross, which we'll talk about next week, and the work that he will bring to conclusion. This is all going to redemption, restoration, or or that Martin Luther King Jr. quote that we've um, we quoted a few times that the arc of the universe bends towards justice. Yeah. That there, there, this is going somewhere. So we can both see what the, the evil in the world for what it is, but also have great hope for the restoration of all things. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's the wonder of it. It will all be set right, and it's going to be a wondrous thing. And I suppose the the takeaway today. Uh, for that, I want to go back to a verse that we left you with last week that Ben mentioned last week. Uh, but I mentioned also that this today was going to be part two of what we talked about last week because we talked about eternity last week. Now we're sort of still talking about it, but it's uh, the blessed hope. Uh, and it, the verse I'm talking about is uh, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 2 9. And if you know anything about the Corinthians, uh, you know that it was a pretty wild and crazy, messed up place. And into that, Paul just kind of drops these bombs, bombs of calm. Bomb, bombs of calm. <laughs> that cal- will be in the dictionary with, too. A cal- bombs would you call of it a, calm. Would you call it a calm bomb? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a calming bomb that is a bomb that is calm. Okay, so, but here it is. 
looking for what he's saying is he's looking forward and he says what we're going to see is what no eye has seen no ear has heard nor the heart of man imagined is what god has prepared for those who love him and i believe that that is in the heart there might be a lot of baggage piled on top of it but in the heart of every believer in him every christian but also every person in the world who uh, would love to have some hope and if there was a god would sure like to to find out if it was possible to to uh, connect with him for some hope. And uh, just imagine this, in terms of what Paul says, what no eye has seen or no ear has heard. Imagine if your eye or your ear heard this. Well, your eye saw or your ear heard this. This is from Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So the city is coming down to earth and joining the new earth, uh, and it's all prepared and fixed up. Uh, later on, he says it's gleaming. Uh, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That image of the new heaven and the new earth joining and forever God's people being able to kind of go between the two and live uh, in that world where these two wondrous places are, um, no theologians really doubt that that's what the Bible says. I mean, certainly none that actually believe the Bible. Uh, they all are in agreement on that, even if they might have different eschatologies uh, or uh, you know studies. They believe different things about the end times. Um, and I remember added to that idea of heaven and earth being joined, um, name drop alert here. Uh, I remember reading a book by a friend of mine. I've known this guy uh, not, you, you know, we, we see each other, you know, there are years between when we see each other nowadays, but I've known him for, shoot, I'd say 45 years, maybe a little more, no, more than that, like more like 48 years. So we're just going to leave it at that. Uh, but his name is Randy Alcorn, and he's written a book just simply called Heaven. And I remember the place where I was uh, sitting, I was sitting at a coffee shop downtown, Ben, at a Pete's actually. Good uh, coffee right there. Doing my reading. Yeah, it was good. Uh, and I remember the place when I read what he said about what this new earth is going to be like. When this heaven and earth come together, it's going to be the best and the most wondrous of all creation. In other words, it's going to be like the real Garden of Eden, Ben. It's, hey. going, to be, it's going to be the way the world was supposed to be. And yet it's going to be like uh, we just read in verse uh, 4 there of Revelation 21. There's not going to be any tears. There's going to be no more crying. There's going to be no more mourning, no more pain. You know what that means? I'm going to be able to surf those 70-foot hey. waves and not hurt afterwards. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> or, or I'll be able to hike you know, right up to the top of the uh, South Sister with you and not be having to take ibuprofen after that. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Uh, but I just got to leave you with one quote uh, that uh, comes again from a book called Resilient Faith by Gerald Sitzer. 
And someday, this guy has been so helpful this podcast, we're going to go into his personal life someday because there's a guy who's been through a lot of difficulty and hurt. Uh, and I thought you were going to say we're going to have him on the podcast someday. Oh, well, there, uh, there Jerry, you go. if you're listening, maybe, we would maybe. love to have yeah. you. Well, we've, we've had Aslan and Martin Luther and uh, Frodo. Anyway, so I wasn't going to mention any of that. But I want to leave you this quote that's so powerful about the first century believers and what they discovered in the fulfill, that the fulfillment of their hope once they figured this out. Listen to this The entire history of Israel culminates in Jesus. He fulfills it. Still, the disciples came to this conviction slowly. They grew up hearing the ancient stories of their people and carried them in their memory. Like adults remembering every square inch of their childhood home and backyard, they had to figure out how to integrate Jesus into that story and how to interpret that story in light of Jesus. It proved to be difficult because Jesus did not turn out to be the kind of Messiah they were expecting. We can only imagine what they discovered, how they must have felt when recalling, for example, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is, by his stripes we are healed. It's a description of the cross. It was written 700 and some years before Jesus actually hung on a cross. It's phenomenal. But it but when recalling, for example, Isaiah 53, in the wake of Jesus' death and resurrection, they shed tears, I am sure, realizing that Jesus, their Messiah, was that man, the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 53. So I think that ought to give us some blessed hope, Ben. I think that's a great place to wrap things up. Yeah. Uh, you know what that means it's time for? What's that, Ben? I think it's time for books and stuff books and stuff ah yeah i just love that sound man that's good Ah, that's good good. don't you love that little little thing that's a nice little ditty yeah Yeah, a little ditty okay so (laughs) you got any any books any stuff you know uh i I will recommend one book that a buddy of mine and i are reading together right now and uh it is called uh reversed thunder it's a book you know oh yeah uh it is by eugene peterson and it just goes through the book of revelation and if there is any book i've read or, or article or work i've read of that comments on the book of revelation that gives me a longing for jesus to return it is this book so reverse thunder by eugene peterson is a great it's good thing to read yeah yeah you know my friend steve yeah he uh, met uh, Eugene, Eugene Peterson. He was in a, Steve was in a church in Montana, and he was headed over to uh, Illinois to move churches. And he uh, thought, oh, I might not see him ever have a chance to connect with him. So he called him up, and Peterson said, sure, come on over. And his wife made him sandwiches. And nice. He said they're really good sandwiches. And so yeah, it, seems like a, it seemed like a pretty down-to-earth Very dude. open, down-to-earth guy. Cool. So, well, I'm going to bring about another book, and it's the one I just uh, mentioned. It's Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven. It is full, 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 full. Randy is one of the most thorough scholars I know. And uh, you might want to check it out. It's been out a number of years now, but it still doesn't grow old because heaven doesn't grow old. So so we have a special announcement. We do? Yes. What is it? Uh, in three weeks, or no, it'd be two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. When yeah. This oh, po- yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. In two weeks, we're going to do a These Days Q&A like we did at the end of last season. And yes, that means that we will have the end of season two, but there are plans for another season, but we won't know quite yet when that's going to be. But... 
uh, encourage you to send in your thoughts and your questions to these days at eastridgechurch.org. These days, no space at eastridgechurch.org. Did you know I heard about a listener from SoCal today, Ben? Did you really? Yeah. That's cool. I like SoCal. I know you do. You know? <laughs> Maybe we should go down and do a, uh, a, a podcast at his house. That'd be kind of fun. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll take this show on the road. How yeah, about that? Yeah, there you go. And we could find some people that could kind of check in with us probably on the <laughs> on the podcast. So, so all yeah, I'm saying got, is... If you've got questions about hope or the rise of hope, yeah. Shoot us an email. Yep. And do it tonight. And if Jesus does come back, we'll give him the questions when we get there. Okay? Oh, great. Perfect. So yeah. It'll be all right. All right. Well, uh, it's been uh, good spending time with you all. And I uh, hope you have a blessed hope of a week. And uh, so? So? That uh, sounds to me like that's a wrap. I think that's wrapped. All right. Yeah. We'll be going now. 